Let me just say this. When it seems to be your darkest hour can actually be your greatest opportunity. Let me say that again. When things seem to be dark, God wants to bring light in the midst of a dark time. Amen? This is, this is where the church shines. And so I, I just really pray that we would come to recognize that and, uh, in the kingdom of God. Amen? Uh, I, I just have one quick little word I'm going to give to Don and Sharon. You know, when I was praying for you guys, when David asked us to pray, I, I had this amazing kind of a vision. The Lord pops these things. But I saw you like two young children, and you said this to yourself. We are not that old. We can outdo any young person. And the Lord said, you go for it. <laughs> and uh, you can and I, I, I just saw both Don, you, and Sharon just taking your hands and dancing. And uh, I don't know if you guys do any country dancing, but I just saw you guys just kind of swinging around and having a great time. And people were saying, man, they're kind of up there in years. And Don, you said, get out of the way. You haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> I mean, Don, you, you just go for it. And I, I just saw a youth and vitality and a strength and an anointing on you. People are going to be influenced by the joy of the Lord in your life. Praise God. How many believe God takes our, even uh, when we're up there in years, not to say you're up there in years, I'm up there in years, but God can take us where we're at and he can revive our youth. And uh, he can give us wind beneath our wings this morning. Now, I want to take you into Matthew 9. A couple of weeks ago, I was speaking to you on how or why mercy heals. And I'm going to speak to you on the mercy of the Lord this morning. I gave you three important thoughts last couple Sundays ago. I want to go back into Matthew 9, into the house of Matthew. If you take your Bibles, Matthew 9, verse 9. I want to read this text again because I'm going to bring this to a, a kind of a conclusion as we continue on this this morning, though. It says, it says that as Jesus passed from there, it says he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me, and he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that Jesus was sitting at the table in the house and behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You know, I think it's interesting. The Pharisees never went and asked Jesus this. They would always go and talk to the disciples. I thought it was interesting. They, they would never come and ask Jesus directly. They'd always go to the disciples. And... Uh, and it says that when Jesus heard this, he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel, the good news. We thank you, Lord, that you are unveiling your eternal purpose to our lives right now. Lord, we're not waiting for purpose. We are in purpose. We're walking in purpose right now. Every day, there's opportunity all around us, Lord, to see those opportunities in a prophetic way 
uh, impartation to take place in the lives, not only in our lives or in the church, but even outside the church. We ask you in Jesus' name to let your presence, let your spirit quicken our minds and our hearts. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. You know, this past week, my wife and I went to uh, down here at Buffalo Wild Wings. How many of you love that restaurant? Amen. How many of you love Wild Wings? And if you don't, I will pray for you right now. Amen. Anybody who does not like wings needs to move to Texas. Amen. Get with the program. But uh, we were over there, and uh, I was just telling this to John before I came up, that uh, we had just sat down, and we had ordered, and and uh, uh, our waiter came and left. But I wasn't uh, referring to our waiter, but there was a gentleman standing in the kitchen. And he had a big, huge, bushy orange beard. I mean, a long, bushy beard. And the guy was as skinny as a rail, but he had this long, bushy beard. And the Lord gave me a word for him. But I was thinking, how can I get a word to this guy? Because he's not serving our table. And the Lord... Uh, just uh, impressed on me that an opportune time would come. Well, he happened to be coming by our table. And I made eye contact. How many here have ever made eye contact with somebody? You haven't talked to him yet, but you made eye contact. And so I was kind of doing this to him. And he, and he comes by, and he does this kind of a thing. He comes by, and he, do, you, do you need something? I said, yes, I need you. I didn't say, hey, but, but I, I did that, long, that yearning. <laughs> now, I, I am a little bit exaggerating here, but, but, but he finally stopped, and, and I said, first thing, I said, do you play guitar? He says, yes. Why do you ask? And I said, well, I, I just want you to know, God gave you that gift. He says, yeah, I, I think I can believe that. I said, when you were a young boy, you knew the Lord. You ha experienced his presence. This is what his words were. Are you psychic? No, <laughs> I'm not psychic. I said, God has his hand on you, and God's going to use that gift for his glory, and he's going to be drawing you, and he wants to touch your life. He wants to bring what you knew a long time ago back. He wants to just kind of breathe on you in a fresh way. And, uh, and I said, the, the Lord has, but I said, the Lord has his hand on you. And I said that if you begin, I told him, I said, when you begin to open your heart and begin to say, Lord, show me your way, show me your will, I said, he's going to speak to you. And uh, I gave him a card, and uh, I wish I could have had a chance to pray for him because our waitress came right then with all of our stuff to eat, and he, and he went on. But the reason I said that is, how many of you believe that, that when, the, when the kingdom of heaven is manifest on earth, there is a kind of a colliding, there's a collision that takes place? And when we begin to talk, and, and I just want you to know that, that, that there's these opportunities that take place that are risky. Everyone say risk. Anytime you begin to move out, whether it's to pray or speak or lead or just to mentor or to coach or to be a blessing to someone, it's never going to seem like the right time. Don't ever wait for the right, perfect time. It will never come. 
You have to launch out now. Amen. I'll never forget Smith Wigglesworth. He was praying. Uh, he was talking to a woman who was going to get her leg amputated on in one of these trolley cars in England. It was a trolley car, some kind of a, a rail with, pulled by horses in England. This is way back in the early 1920s. And he was on this trolley car, and he was talking to this a young daughter with her mother who was going to get her leg amputated because she had a severe problem in her leg, according to the book. And he said, just as I was getting with this woman, he says a lot of people got off and then a lot of people got on and then he said there was a big, big man standing between me and this woman that I was talking to. So this is what he says in the book. He says, I was getting ready to pray for this woman. So I asked the man to spread his legs and I reached between his legs and I prayed for the woman's leg or woman's, her, the woman's leg between this big man's legs and he stand like this and and he says, God performed a miracle. She had no more pain. And here's my point. Sometimes, no, we don't want to say that, but sometimes God may present opportunities that may seem very awkward. And you've got to be willing to take the uh, risks. Now, I mean, that's exactly, if some of you want to get proof of that, I'll be glad to show you the page. Uh, it's called The Anointing uh, by Smith Wigglesworth. A powerful time. But I, I believe that God is bringing some fresh life and a fresh vision, and he wants to quicken our faith. And here in this passage, it says that when Jesus passed on from there, I want you to know there's a there. There's a place where we've been, and there's a place where God wants us to come and realize that there's a very present time and opportunity where he wants us to recognize this place. And it says that when Jesus saw a man Name Matthew, sitting at the tax office, he said to him, follow me. Now here is a powerful picture of Jesus, which represented the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wasn't just the messianic prophecy or promise from the Old Testament. Jesus represented all of heaven on earth. He represented the Father's heart. He represented the very atmosphere and and, and power and life of heaven coming to earth. And when heaven meets earth, there is a collision. There's a colliding that takes place. And so when Jesus is asking uh, Matthew to follow him, the Bible says that Matthew follows him, and we find in verse 10 that they end up at Matthew's house. When you follow Jesus, guess where Jesus is going to take you? Right back to your place going to take you right back home. Because see, how many of you believe that in order for my life to be effective, it needs to start with me personally? It needs to start with me at home. There's five dimensions in the area of discipleship, one of which is where God begins to meet us right where we're at. And it's where we begin to steward the areas of very practical life. I'm not going to be any good anywhere. I can pray, pray for the sick, raise the dead, I can heal. But if I am not stewarding my own life in a practical way, my life is not going to do any good to anybody else. Now, I'm not saying we've got to be in total perfection. But here we find that Jesus takes Matthew and they go back to his house. And the interesting thing here is that Jesus goes into this house of this unregenerate, decadent, 
lucrative, very wealthy tax collector. And it's interesting, the, the Pharisees and others didn't have such a problem with Jesus when Jesus said to Matthew, follow me, but they did have a problem when Jesus went into the house of this tax collector because in the mind of the Jews, first of all, he is a publican, he's a tax collector who was considered by the Jews as being a traitor because he was a Jew, amen. Where are we going here? Praise God, okay, I heard something going on. But he was, he's considered a traitor. But Jesus goes on, he goes into the house, and he sits, and he's dining, and they're eating, and they're having a good time. But notice what happens. The Pharisees and the Jews are having a problem with this. They're having a problem with the fact that Jesus would go into the house of a man who they considered, considered as being defiled. And when we come down to the verse, the, the, the Pharisees and others are concerned, what in the world is Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners for? And Jesus down here at the bottom uh, of the text, verses 12 and 13, Jesus says, those who have no need of a physician, those who are well have no need of a physician, or those who think they're well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But he says, go and learn. And then he says this, I desire mercy. Everyone say that with me. I desire mercy. Say it again. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now, one of the things when I talked about this colliding or collision, when you begin to walk and you're truly led by the word of the Lord and you're led by the Holy Spirit, there's going to be times and seasons where there's going to be people that are going to question why you're doing what you're doing. They're going to question why in the world would you open your heart and open your home and open your life to people that uh, might be the way they are. But Jesus said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Because see, when you're under the law, under the old covenant, the law began to put pressure on people. The law began to put demands, and the Bible says that the law strengthens sin, but the law is what puts pressure on people to try to earn their way, to make sacrifice, and to do the right thing, and to earn my way into heaven, and to earn my way into his good graces. And if I can only straighten my life out, if I can just get my act together, then I'm really truly worthy of what he's calling me for. And so there's many of us, there's many people around the world in different types of religions today. It's all about sacrifice, what you do to get to God. But here Jesus says it's not about what you do, it's about you in your broken condition. It's about you simply being on the receiving end of his mercy. And there's something in us, and it's called the, the sin nature. The sin nature, which is actually fed by the law, the law strengthens sin. It contributes to it. In fact, it actually contributes to anger. It contributes to fear. It begins to, it, it, it begins to empower certain laws in our life that are the wrong things, and that is the seeking to try to find acceptance, value, worth, purpose by doing certain things. And we, we, are actually, we become self-deceived in that way. But here Jesus comes, and he's reaching out to, the, to, to these tax collectors, uh, and he begins to just enjoy himself with these people. 
He begins to just enjoy conversation. He's sitting around and, and they're, they're having this time where they're actually having a great time. And the Pharisees are actually having a problem with Jesus having a good time with sinners. Amen. How many of you know that God wants us to have a good time with sinners without crossing certain lines, but he wants us to learn how to honor unbelievers? And so when Jesus uses this phrase, he says, though that are well do not need a physician, but those that are sick. Now, Jesus didn't come into the house of Matthew and say, by the way, guys, you're all sick. That's why I'm here, because you're so sick. How many of you know that would be kind of offensive? But Jesus came as a physician. He came as one who cared. And I, I want to go through uh, some scriptures this morning, okay? Uh, part of our mission here is to take the heart of the Father to the people. Amen? And uh, one of the things the Bible says, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love, wherewith he loved us. It's because of his mercy and his great love. Micah says, who is God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his, herit of the remnant of his herit heritage? Okay. Uh, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in wrath. Oops, forgive me. He delights in mercy. Also, who is God? Oh, I, I just wrote that one. Okay, Lamentations. Lamentations. Though, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because of his compassions. They do not fail. Amen. Joel says, rend your heart, not your garments. In other words, deal with the issues of your heart. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and he's merciful. Gracious and merciful. I never say that. Gracious and merciful. Slow to anger and of great kindness. He relents from doing harm. Amen. And so we find here that in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus comes and his intent, his purpose is to put the kingdom of heaven, to put the heart of the Father on display. Do you know that you are the display of your heavenly Father on earth? Turn to your neighbor and say, you are put on display. You are put on display. Not someone else, not the preacher, you. In fact, let me just tell you, it doesn't matter how deep of sin you've been in, you are still put on display because he's given you mercy. And the Bible says that he gives you mercy so that you might be able to give mercy. And it's really important that we understand that. But, but here, see, the Pharisees under the law believe that if you were sick and you're in sin, you were someone to avoid. And you begin to mark them. You begin to uh, label them. You, you begin to put yourself between uh, them uh, because you actually had, and sometimes it can be a kind of a secret form of, of pride, where I feel that I'm really kind of better than they are. And so here we find that Jesus comes and he begins to eat. He begins to have fellowship, not fellowship, but he begins to have a great time with these guys and these ladies. And he's in a place, even to the point where sinners come and they begin to, they're attracted to him. They begin to feel safe with him. How many of you know that that's important for people to feel safe with you? 
And so I want to go through some characteristics and some of the, the purposes of mercy, uh, some of the things that I covered a couple of weeks ago that, first of all, mercy disarms people's defenses and their fears and declares the war is over. When you disarm uh, the, the atmosphere, mercy disarms people's defenses and it makes this declaration, I'm no longer at war with you. I'm not here to condemn. I'm not here to, to write you off. I'm not coming here to you to use my Bible as an M16 to plaster you with letting you know how bad you are. I'm here to let you know that the war is over and I recognize great value in you. Now, all of us have known people in our life that have probably sinned or offended us and uh, one of the things that, that, that true mercy does is it conveys that kingdom of heaven atmosphere. It conveys love, it conveys value, it conveys worth. And so when Jesus here is in this house, how could these drunken publicans and thieves and liars, they were skimmers, they worked for Rome, they worked for Herod, but they were known thieves. And by the way, these guys lived in the most luxurious, lavish homes, tax collectors. They were known for being thieves and skimmers. That's why the Jews hated these guys. And isn't it amazing that sometimes Jesus will actually befriend the kind of people we don't like. And he will actually spend some time with the very people where we, we might be repulsed with. But Jesus comes and he comes into their house he spends time, and notice all the Pharisees had time to do was sit there and throw stones and criticize and look at him and say, you know, Jesus is crazy. But here what Jesus does is he disarms their defenses and their fears by simply letting them know the war is over. The second thing that we learned about that uh, mercy does is mercy creates an atmosphere where people can relax. Everyone say relax. I read this uh, couple months ago, that the three most stressful places, I, I was teaching this on my Stress for Best class here this past summer, that the three most stressful places in America are this, the job, the family, and church. Can you believe that? People get stressed out by coming to church, and that's, that's a really sad thought. But, but we need to, now I'm not suggesting that we're relaxing about sin, that's not what we're saying. We, we, we believe that we take the issue of sin seriously, but we also take God's grace seriously, and I'm going to believe that God's grace is stronger than our sin. But, but see, Jesus is creating an atmosphere where people can relax, and why is that? How many of you know that you cannot actually digest your food? You can't even eat or receive until you get to a place where there's some peace. Let me also say this about relaxing. You will never get people to become transparent until they can relax. They will never be transparent until they can be at peace and they can relax. Mercy conveys not just knowledge, but it conveys a, a spirit. It conveys a heart that I want you to know in fact, mercy, actually, by the way, this is interesting in, in the Greek, mercy has nothing to do with our emotions. It has nothing to do with, uh, I'm, 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 I'm feeling sorry for you. It has nothing to do with pity. 
Mercy is an act. When Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross to grant mercy and atonement. He didn't do it because he felt like it. In fact, Jesus was not casual going to the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, it was an act of his will. Mercy is an act of our will. I don't forgive someone because I feel like it. I do it because he forgave me. It's based on a choice. Now, I know that we are in a culture right now that we do what we do when we feel like it. The unfortunate thing that's actually crept even in charismatic and spirit-filled churches today, like we are, is a lot of people say, you know what, I'm doing this because the Spirit led me. Be careful with that. Sometimes people say, the Spirit's leading me because what they're saying is I feel like doing it. By the way, do you know what you say when you actually say the Spirit's leading me to do something? What you're really saying is you're putting a period at the end of it and say, now you can't argue with me. Because since the Spirit told me, guess what? End of argument. I'm right. You're wrong. So I'm very careful not to say the Spirit led me because what, per, what a person's really trying to say is this, is don't question me, I'm right, you're wrong. That's a dangerous thought. By the way, that's why some of our dispensational friends who we love in Jesus' name don't like charismatics because we love to end arguments by saying, God told me. The Spirit led me. Just say, you felt led. That way there's room for growth. Room for growth. But here, Jesus is coming into this environment, and it's a decadent environment. It's an evil environment. It's a negative environment. And it's an environment where the, the Jews, rightly so, had a con conflict. They had a conflict of interest. They had a problem with what Jesus is doing. Here's the problem with the Jews. They didn't understand that under the law, the law said that if you go into the house of an unclean person or touch the garments or sit in the chair or wear the robes or do anything around people that are unclean, you become unclean. But they didn't understand that under the dispensation of grace, under the new covenant, guess what? The righteousness of a righteous man, the power of the Holy Spirit makes an unrighteous man righteous. Your holiness can infect, uh, not infect, it can influence the lives of those who were ungodly. So when Jesus came into that environment, he changed the environment. He changed, he empowered people that were under sin so they could be transformed. Now that, that's, that's the kind of faith that he does. And that's the kind of faith, faith he conveys. So mercy creates an atmosphere where people can begin to relax and they can rest they can drink, and they can actually begin to open up and become transparent. One of the things I, I'm, I'm so proud of our uh, Conqueror series with our men is we're beginning to see men open up that have had things bottled up, things that have been held in their lives for years. And you know why? It's because we're creating an atmosphere where they can actually feel safe and relax. And guess what happens? These guys want to open up. But when you got some Bible thump or some crazy person that's not really using Scripture right, and they really don't know that people believe in them, guess what? They just keep their walls up. And it takes time. Now, mercy creates this atmosphere. And so the third thing here that we talked about as well is that mercy attracts. 
mercy attracts. And why, why does mercy attract? Because mercy is basically saying, you are welcome in my life. In other words, I love what it says here about the, the, uh, the other uh, tax collectors. It said other tax collectors in verse 10. It says that many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and the disciples. In other words, they felt welcome. Everyone say welcome. My question to you is this morning as, as a church here. Do unbelievers and sinners feel welcome around you? Do they feel welcome? Amen? Now, I'm not suggesting that, uh, that we're to just overlook sin and overlook certain things, and I do believe we need to protect our children, and I do believe that we're not to go into certain places uh, that uh, can be a potential setup uh, in certain situations, but I do believe that God wants us to realize that He wants our lives to attract sinners. The Bible says you are the light of the world. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we're coming into agreement with sin in any way, shape, or form. But one thing that really overcomes sin is love. It's the love of God that draws people to you and to Christ that creates this openness for people to be transparent, for them to listen. Uh, one thing I've learned a long time ago, I have no right whether I'm a Christian, pastor, leader, elder, what doesn't matter. I have no right to speak into anyone's life until I earn that right. I have to earn that right. It takes time. And uh, it takes time. It takes, it takes a relationship building process. And it takes time. And so mercy will attract people. Now, by the way, you may not attract everybody, and I wouldn't feel bad that you don't. There's some, some people we... Some people get along, others don't get along, but you are going to attract those that God has their connection with. He's going to bring people into your life. So mercy does attract. The next thing I want to bring out here is that mercy sees inside of people for who they are and takes action to restore. I want you to see something here back in verse 9. This scripture used to create a lot of questions in me for years. Just chapter 9, verse 9, it says, And Jesus went by, and there he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me, and he arose and followed him. Now, this scripture puzzled me, because I know men. I've studied men for a long time. One thing I've realized is that you do not get a man who's in a very lucrative, secure career to get him to leave a great career with lots of money with saying two words, follow me. It doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. You don't get men to just leave a real secure, lucrative, luscious lifestyle with two words. Follow me. And Matthew forsakes all and just takes off, starts following Jesus. I mean, this that would have been just today, that'd be considered crazy. But it even sounds crazy here. And I, I was waiting on the Lord and I, I said, Lord, what in the world? How did that happen? Was it, was it the follow me? Was it there something in the, the way you said it? What was it? And, and the Lord began to show me that in verse 9 here, it says that when Jesus saw him. How many of you know when you do, you do a study on the eyes of God, God's eyes are like piercing flames that pierce. You see, here's what I believe. I believe 
that Matthew on the outside was a very wealthy man. He had all the friends, he had all the booze, he had everything that a man or a man uh, that could ever want, the, the money, the fame, the parties, the friends, but Jesus saw inside of him for who he was. He saw inside and he saw a man that was very lonely, void of purpose. Even though he had all of this that a lot of people would envy, yet Matthew was destitute, like the Laodicean church when, when John was writing to the seven churches and when he wrote the letter to the Laodiceans and he said this, he says, you say that you're, you're rich and, you're, and you have need of nothing, but yet you are poor, blind, and you're naked and you're wretched. See, the Holy Spirit has a way of looking inside of us and letting us know, and letting us see what we may not even see about ourselves. I believe that when Jesus made eye contact with Matthew, Matthew realized, wow, he's seeing something in me that's actually spooky. It actually scares me because I thought I was happy. I, I thought that this life, I thought my wealth and my riches and my security would give me the kind of happiness, but it didn't. And so when Matthew gets up and follows him, it shows that Matthew was ready to go. You know, we, we need to, mercy sees inside. And you know, what, you know how it sees? It's because mercy sees inside of people because it chooses to focus on the need of the person rather than just their problem or their sin. When you begin to focus on the need, you will begin to see some transformation in their life. And notice what happens is that mercy leads the way. When we begin to pursue mercy in our own life, it says that Jesus said, follow me. When you begin to exemplify mercy, people will begin to follow you. The Bible says that Matthew followed him, led him right back to his house. The next thought here about mercy is this, and it's so important, is that mercy listens. Everyone say listens. How many have ever heard of the art of listening? Three things about listening. When we listen to people, it's what validates them. Sometimes we need to learn to just listen to people. How many here have ever been, don't raise your hand, we'll need an altar call, but how many have ever listened to someone and you just felt like, whoa, this is a stretch. You're getting bored or you're getting tired or this is just really... Uh, taking a lot of energy out of you. But you know, sometimes the Lord will allow you and put you into a situation where we need to learn to simply just show some patience with people. Amen? In fact, by the way, folks, this is what life coaching is all about, or discipleship. And one of the things about discipleship, if you can't be patient with people simply to listen, don't disciple. Don't disciple them because you're not ready. Six months ago, when I came back off my sabbatical, the Lord spoke to me about this church. He says, Ray, uh, discipleship is so important, but he says there's a lot of broken people that need to be healed before they're ready to listen, before they're ready to disciple. If we cannot learn to listen, and listening is validating, doesn't mean I'm validating sin, but I'm learning to validate them by simply just letting them know that you're important. 
I'm willing to give you my time. Let me ask you this. Mercy makes time for people. And not with your friends. With people that you may not see as your friends. Mercy takes that time. Secondly, mercy allows people to tell their story. Do you know everybody has a story? Do you know what I think it's so amazing? Jesus didn't just come down here to preach the gospel and let us know about heaven and hell and the parables. Jesus taught and he did teach. He preached and he taught. He raised the dead. But Jesus took the time to simply listen. Just listen. How many here have ever gone to Starbucks, gone on a date, gone out with somebody, with a couple or somebody? How many here have ever gone with somebody and just didn't say a thing but just listened? Now, some of you might think, man, Pastor, right, that would be a boring time. I've got to get my word in somehow. Just go out and listen. Amen? Thank you, Larry. Praise God. Amen. But see, that's mercy. Mercy means what you have to say is worth listening to. Amen? And uh, I, I, think, I think this is so incredibly important. Because sometimes, I, I know as a pastor, that's one of the most important things for Carol and I and as our elders. We do a lot of listening. Now, there's times that we need to speak up, and we do, and we speak and we share some opinions or ideas or some scripture, or we pray as well. But in the beginning, especially when we're working with people, we need to learn how to just simply listen. You know, I, I, I want to just say this, that even in a group, when we're all praying together. I remember this, this one person, we were in a type of a situation, and this one person had a really difficult time just sitting there and not allowing other people to pray. So I went up to the person, I said, why don't you just let other people pray? Yeah, but there's quietness. I just need to get up there and say something. I said, it's okay to be quiet. Well, why? Nobody's saying nothing. But that maybe you're bold to speak and bold to pray, but Maybe some people are just learning to crawl and they're learning to walk and they can't say anything because you're doing all the talking. So don't feel uncomfortable because nothing's being said. Let silence prevail. Yeah, but I just got to say something. No, you don't. It's called self-control. Everyone say self-control. See, that's mercy. Some people will actually say, thank God they kept their mouth shut for once. <laughs> Don't feel you always have to say something or pray something or, well, no one's doing it, so I have to do it. No, you don't have to do anything. Actually, you'll actually allow some other people that have been so shy. I, I want to tell you, I can't tell you how many times people can be like a wallflower. They won't say anything because I know who's going to do all the praying and talking. It's him and her and him and her. They do it all. And I, I just don't have the boldness to do it because I'm just not as bold like everyone else. Well, the part of our desire in this church is to get other people to come out. Let them pray their prayer. Let them tell their story. You know, one of the best things to do, can I just say this? Don't just talk about you. Don't talk about you and your family. You know what I, I recommend is get a cell phone, and when you're around people, 
turn your own tape recorder on and listen to yourself talk with other people. And notice how much you talk about yourself. Man, Pastor Ray, this sounds like a whipping this morning. No, no, it's not intended. What I'm trying to get you to understand is how do we become people of mercy? Jesus didn't come down and say, I want you guys to know what heaven's like and what the kingdom of heaven's like, where we're going with the early church here. I want everybody to know what this thing, first of all, you all got to get your act together. You're a bunch of sinners and you're polluted and you're filthy and defiled. So I'm here to preach it to you and let you know. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus was patient. I'm sure he said, hey, Matthew, who's your friend back there? Why don't, you, why don't you come up? For, tell me your story. Tell me about your kids. I'm not going to tell you about my kids. You tell me about your kids. Hey, you like catching fish? I hear you're a fisherman. How's fishing going? I believe Jesus had that kind of conversation. I don't believe Jesus came all holy and mighty and, all right, this is the kingdom. No, Jesus took the time simply just to listen. That's huge. How many here like to be around people who listen to you. Well, you're liars. You all love that. You love to go away, and you love to feel validated like, that guy, that gal actually heard me. How many of you like that? How many have ever been in a relationship where it was a one-way relationship? Don't raise your hand. And they feel like they did all the talking, all the yakking, and I'm just kind of here, just kind of, Oh, long. That's, that's not mercy. And so when Jesus is around this crowd, Jesus is listening. And you know what? They're feeling safe. They're feeling like they can really open up. Because see, the Pharisees, the Pharisees were great preachers of the law. They were oppressive. And as soon as they were done talking, they were out of there. Okay, I said what I had to say. Go home and do it. That's not a good, that's not a healthy thing. Jesus took the time and he said, I want to, I want to hear your story. That, that's what mercy does. The last thing about listening is listening involves building a bridge. Building a bridge. You know, there's a lot of people on what I call islands. They're on their own little island. They're, on, they're in their own little world. They're in their own little orbit. And how many of you know if we're going to really show mercy, we've got to get into their orbit. I've got to find out where they're at. I've got to come to... See, that's what the love of God is. Love takes that time to build that bridge. So important. The next thing here, moving on, number six, mercy honors. Mercy honors. Everyone say honor. This is such an incredible thing. How, how, how am I honoring people? What, is it, what does it really mean to really honor people? Now, that's not, I want to make this really a statement. I want to make some clarification. We're not honoring bondage or strongholds. We're not honoring the devil. We're not honoring a lifestyle of sin. Not at all. What we're focusing on is we're focusing on the person. We're focusing on their testimony. We're focusing on their value in the sight of God and in our sight. We want them to know their value. That's important. Now, there may be some people that may push you away. That can happen. I've had it happen in my life. They will push you away. And by the way, honor that. 
If people push you away, don't push back. Don't push back. If you want me out of your life, I won't push my way into your life. You honor what they want. Amen? You have to let other people uh, do the work on that because honoring people means that you respect and you honor their wishes. Amen? Now, I know what I'm doing today is more of a practical side on this, but this is what mercy is. Mercy isn't just forgiving sin and forgiving offenses. Mercy, this is a very practical approach to how we convey the mercy and the grace of God on these issues. I hate to say this, but sometimes I, uh, I know in my own life, I've, uh, I've had to learn these things the hard way. Uh, you know, my wife is a better listener, I think, than I have been. I'm, I'm a preacher, uh, prophetic. Uh, I, I like to talk. I'm a speaker. I love to speak, declare, and open up. But my wife has taught me, just, Ray, shut your mouth. And she does it with a smile. And that's important. Uh, and by the way, that's why God brings spouses like that in your life. Amen. And so I, I've learned to watch her. I've learned to observe her method. And I think it's paid off because it helps us to grow. How many believe God doesn't give up on it? He wants us to grow through these seasons of our life. But when you honor people, I think it's important to say, you know what? Thank you for sharing your heart. I really heard you. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, I really heard you, even though you didn't. Just say, I really heard you. I've really heard you. That, that's important for conveying respect and honor. I really heard you. I really hear what you're saying. Now, that doesn't mean you have to agree on it, but it means I heard you. Amen? And when you say that to people, Elise, okay, I, I'm glad you heard what I had to say. And now we can go from there. But honoring people, honoring people obviously means that um, I'm going to continue on building my friendship or my relationship with you even though we don't agree on things. Amen? One of the things I know in my own marriage with my wife, my wife and I don't agree on everything, but we know how to honor each other. And one of the best ways we learn to honor each other is we learn to actually thank each other when there's criticism or when there is a disagreement. I've said this, Carol. Carol says it to me. I said, Carol, thank you for sharing that. At the time, I didn't like it, but now I see I needed it. So it's important to acknowledge that person. You may say, well, Pastor Ray, what does this have to do with this? Not raising the dead, healing the sick. This ain't doing it. Yes, it is. A lot of people aren't going to hear your message until you treat them, to learn how to communicate, until, until we learn how to really work with people in difficult situations. How many of you believe with this politically charged atmosphere that we're in right now, how many of you think that this could actually work in our nation if we actually learn to listen to each other, learn to really honor each other even though we disagree, stop pointing the finger at each other, stop being divisive. How many of you know Jesus said that you shall know the, the world will know that you are my disciples by your miracles. Not what he said? By how many, how many people you've raised from the dead. 
says, you'll know that you're my disciples by your love, by your mercy, and by your honor. And when, when we learn to honor one another instead of degrading, because this, this conveys worth, it conveys value, it conveys a sense of purpose. The last thing is this in verse 13. Jesus said, I didn't call the righteous to uh, call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In other words, this is it here, is that mercy will always bring people to transformation. That's the purpose. The ultimate purpose is repentance. Everyone say repentance. It should lead us to repentance. The goal of mercy is transformation. But I wanted to say this, it's not a quick trip. Sometimes it takes weeks, days, months, and even years. Sometimes it's, it's, it's having the patience to endure. Sometimes many of us, and I believe Jesus saw this, not only in this scenario, but Jesus showing patience. He's honoring these men and women. But we, out of it, Jesus gets Matthew to become one of his disciples in this situation. Now, here is our mission for the week. Whatever I say, we're going to look for the Matthews and the Marthas in the marketplace. Amen? We're going to ask them to share their story. This is our mission for this week. We're going to ask them, share your story. I know it may not be one or two. Maybe you can only connect with one person. But I think we need to look for them. Jesus looked for them. Mercy looks for the downcast. Mercy looks. Jesus said, I didn't come to gather the righteous but sinners. Jesus was looking for the broken. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you went out of your way to really think about someone else and to be a blessing to someone else and really give them time and really hear their story without, okay, let me tell you what you need to do. No, just, just, just be quiet. To settle down. But Pastor Ray, they're unscriptural and they're just saying things all wrong and I need to correct them and I need to adjust them. I know. Just settle down. Just, just listen to their side of it. Amen? Show the Father's mercy by having compassion. And the last thing is practice the art of just listening. Now, I know um, for me in my own life, this has been a great challenge because uh, I think one of the things that when you give and sometimes not everybody's ready for certain solutions. Just because it doesn't mean they're ready for the Just get in there and just correct change because you you want people to be blessed but sometimes god may ask you to just spend time and just be their friend i i remember the day especially uh when my wife and i were first we had in fact all of our life uh, in our married life we've, we've had many many people over type different types of people sinners and saints alike and it was, in the earlier days, it was difficult for me, I'm just being honest, it was difficult for me to have people over and for me to give my time to people who weren't willing to listen. And the Lord said, Ray, I want you just 
to sit and listen and don't say a thing. Now, that, that's tough. Now, sometimes, you know, you, you want to give people solutions so they can get on the road to recovery and on the, on the road to healing, but they're not ready for the answer. And so you, you have to just validate them. You need to just say, you know, I, I was so blessed to have you come and see me today or talk to you or go to coffee with you. What's a blessing being with you today? And they go away thinking, wow, what a blessing it was being with you too, even though you didn't give them any solutions. You may think, well, well, that seemed like a waste of time. It's not a waste of time. Spending time with people is not a waste of time. It's never a waste of time because you're sowing. And the Bible says that uh, Paul said this, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. I want to share something with you in closing with this. Remember several years ago, I was uh, my wife. Uh, we were in the leadership in our other church at back in Portland, and there was a gentleman that had come to our church, and uh, he was uh, sitting right next to us in the church that we went to. And I asked Carol if we could invite him over. He was a a new visitor coming to the church. I didn't know who he was at the time, but he started coming and. Uh, so I asked Carol if we could invite him over, and we did. We had him over several times. But he was not a believer. Didn't, didn't know Jesus at all. And I spent all this time investing time into this individual. And uh, over time, uh, four, five, six months goes by, and I knew he wasn't a believer. He still had questions. He had concerns. So I spent a lot of time, and I was hoping to be able to lead him to Jesus. One day he calls me, I think it was on a Saturday, he's, he's all excited. He says, Ray, I just got to tell you the good news. He calls me up and says, what, what's the good news? He says, I got saved. I wasn't happy. I said, what, what do you mean? And this is what I was thinking. Who is the jerk that led you to Jesus? Because I had been pouring all my time into this guy not only did he, this guy lead him to Jesus, but he took him to his church, which was worse. And so, I mean, I'm on the phone. He says, well, tell me about your... Now, see, my, my analytical mind's going, I want to make sure you're really safe. Maybe this guy really didn't lead to Jesus. Come to find out, yeah, he received, yeah, by faith, it's not by works, never love, you know, so, okay, you're saved by faith. So he took you in the sinner's prayer, okay, praise God, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I'm, I'm really happy for him. I'll see you on the other side in heaven someday. Praise God. <laughs> I was having an attitude meltdown because I was supposed to lead you to Jesus, partner. I was the one who put in all the work. Now you give me this call like you're all happy. Don't give me this. Oh, I'm all happy now. And, you know, I, I even, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. Kind of, I, it's really a sad case. I mean, I would come to my own altar call on this. But I remember he called me up and said, hey, Rick, can you help me? Hey, can you help me understand something about Scripture? I said, well, why don't you just call your friend up? <laughs> I actually said that to him. Just call, call, call the guy who led you to Jesus. I'm sure. I mean, I hate to say it, but I, just want, I didn't want anything to do with the guy. I mean, you're talking about, Pastor Ray, you were really a, 
work in progress, weren't you? Yeah. I mean, here's the problem. I did not show mercy. That wasn't mercy. You know what? You know what? You know why God allows these kind of things to happen in your life? To show you what you are blind to. I didn't know that I had this problem. I was in it for me. Sometimes well, I want to come down and give a prophetic word tonight, but that's all I got to wear. I remember my pastor at times, Jerry, I'm going to let you share, so don't worry about it. But I can't tell you how many times I would come down and brother, the pastor, I would say, Ray, not today. Maybe next week. And so I'd go back. I'm going to leave the church. They don't respect my ministry and gift here. Ray had to grow up. I can't tell you how many people leave the church because I got offended. No, it's, it's just immaturity and you got to grow up. But now I look back at hindsight, it was the wisest decision. But sometimes we get all bent out of shape. But, but part of working mercy into your life is completely dependent on how you're able to receive mercy. When God began to show me things like that gentleman that, that received Christ from another gentleman from another church who eventually actually started going to that church. But I mean, it took me about a month or so just to kind of get over that attitude of this issue in my own heart. In fact, you know what I did? I said, God, I am so done with witnessing. I mean, I had this. I'm done. You know, I put all this time. We, he ate our food. Spent money. Carol went out and bought groceries. We did all of this, and some jerk leads him to Jesus, another guy. Now, I, I actually didn't say some jerk, but in my brain I was thinking that, which is equally as wrong. But I had the wrong spirit. There was no mercy in my heart for that guy because I was operating what Jesus said. I was operating on the basis of sacrifice. Look at all the sacrifices I'm making for you, Jesus, and I want to be able to put this guy's kind of little crown, like my little disciple. He's my, he's my guy. It's called territorial discipleship. He's mine. I'm the one who brought him. I, I did the work. I did it. And God said, you know, Ray, you've done nothing. You've done nothing. Because, you know, Ray, it's not about God. It's not about the kingdom. It's all about you, Ray. I, I'm just being blunt with you. God had to show me something about myself before God would ever entrust me with others. Are you following what I'm saying here? So the mercy, the mercy of God really starts with me having a revelation of how I'm living and the motive for what I'm doing, what I'm doing. What is the real motive behind what I do and why I do it? Amen? Let's bow our heads. Oh, okay. Let, let me. Well, well, go ahead. Come on up right now and share that. She's got a prayer request here. Go ahead. Um, my niece uh, in Arizona sent me a text. She's not a believer. Her family is not believers, but she sent me a text that, are you in church? Please have everybody pray. So that's what I'm doing. Um, her husband's co-worker has a grandson in Tulsa that was hit by a car. And he's 14 years old, and it crushed his head and his chest. 
and they don't think he's going to make it. So I believe God can heal him, but we also want mercy for the person that hit him, and we want mercy for their family. So if y'all would just pray. Thank you. Go ahead and lead, Jerry. Just lead in prayer. Okay. Yeah. Father, we just thank you. We believe in complete healing for this. His name is Tyler Wells. You know where he is. You know what happened. You know the beginning from the end. We know that you can heal any physical um, injury that he's uh, that he's yes, in, that Jesus. he's uh, suffered from. We know that you can show mercy to their family and give them strength. We know that you can use this for your good. What looks like a horrible situation, you can turn around for your good. We also pray for healing and for mercy for the person that hit him in the <coughs> car. That this person is suffering their own their own injury and uh, we just pray for for as we talked about all this mercy today we just pray for your mercy to just rain rain down on everyone in this whole situation jesus name wow yes lord thank you jerry i'll take it thank you so much let's stand to our feet shall we just you know i want to i just want you all to lay your hands on your heart this morning because I really believe God wants to enlarge our hearts. I, I believe he wants to, us to open our hearts and our minds so that we can be able to have a greater understanding of the kingdom, a greater understanding of, of God's heart, the Father's heart. Jesus wasn't just coming to bring a message. He, he was coming to bring a whole different attitude, a whole different spirit. And it was a spirit of kindness, a spirit of patience, faith, goodness. And Father, we just pray right now that you would just continue to enlarge our hearts. Lord, we know that unless you open our eyes, unless you open our hearts, Lord, we will not be effective in helping this generation. We'll not be able to reach those that are, many people today are so full of deep, deep wounds, deep hurts, severe scars, uh, scars, and, and so many will come into the body, the churches, different churches, and they're going to come, and they're, they're going to, they're going to come in a warlike mindset. They're, they're going to be ready for war because that's all they've known is war all their life. And for the church to bring a covenant of peace and rest, the church has to be healthy before we can truly bring life to the people that are going to be coming in. If, if we've got war in our own spirit and war in our own heart, we cannot bring peace to people. There's got to be peace there's got to be a healthiness. We've got to be healthy. We've got to be full of the love and the life of God because there's going to be some atrocious stuff that's going to come against the church. In fact, the Apostle Paul said that all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You will not, I will not be able to go through persecution. If we're at war in our own body, in our own church, in our own families, how and what right do we have to bring the gospel of peace if we're at war inside our own lives? It won't work. We have to be healthy. So, Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that you continue to unveil the Father's heart, 
what Jesus did, how you've come to disarm and declare the war is over, how you've come to create an atmosphere for people to rest and relax so they can receive, so they can open up. Lord, help us to understand really what it is to listen, really understand how to have our inner core filled with the peace of God so we can convey that peace to others. Father, I pray that you'll be be with us as we go through this week. Help us, Lord, to recognize and to see the Matthews, the Marthas, those around us, Lord, that are at war right now. Lord, help us to see them as you see them. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God is good. You have a great week. If any of you like prayer, I'd love to pray with you down front here.